has moved in a powerful way here tonight, so the pressure is off. So I'm just going to preach. Would you help me preach for a few minutes here tonight? Amen. I'm not going to preach on Tuesday. I'm not preaching on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday. So it's going to be a while. So let me just, let me get this in. This is a bookend message to this day. John chapter 20, verse number one. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. It's interesting in the book of John, the gospel of John, John does not name himself, but most commentaries and theologians believe that he's talking about himself. He calls himself the other disciple. And so she comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher and they ran together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter, came first to the sepulcher and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. Then come a Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the, that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, even though Jesus mentioned it many times and kind of gave them opportunity to understand that it was still not in their mentality that this would ever take place. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So this morning I preached to you wrestling for the blessing. And so since we're talking about wrestling, I thought we just might as well make it a whole day about wrestling. And so tonight I want to preach to you for a few moments wrestling for hope. Wrestling for the blessing this morning. Tonight, wrestling for hope. Amen. Savior, we thank you for your goodness and truth. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would direct us. Praise God. Guide us. We give to you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. We have a painting in the back hall. My father-in-law purchased it somewhere. I think he was intrigued by it. Brother Booker has this painting in Rialto in his lobby. I want to show it to you. This is it. This is a painting by Eugene Bernand. This was painted um, in the 1800s. He was a Swiss painter, and he was greatly influenced by the realism of artists like Gustave Courbet, and he painted this painting in a period of realism. You might ask, what is realism? In history, there have been movements from literature to painting to there's all kinds of different movements in history. And this was a, a movement called realism. This is a picture of Peter and John running to the sepulcher. We know which one is John and we know which one is Peter by reading the scripture. Maybe somebody just looking at this. If they were at the Musée d'Orsay, the Museum d'Orsay in Paris, 
They may not understand who's who, but because we read the scripture, we know who outruns Peter. It was the other disciple that Jesus loved. He outruns Peter and gets there, and then Peter runs into the tomb before him. So the one on your uh, left would be John, and the older-looking gentleman would be Peter. They both have different looks on their faces. Realism in the arts is generally defined as an attempt to represent subject matter truthfully, not with any artificiality. It avoids any kind of artistic conventions that are implausible. It doesn't seek to portray the exotic and supernatural elements. It just simply says what it is. It reveals what it is. It's seeking to portray what is real and what is typical contemporary people and situations with truth and with accuracy, not avoiding unpleasant or sordid aspects of life, just pointing out what it is. There was something that followed on realism, which was called photography, which was another way of capturing real life events. So Bernand is trying to capture what the two disciples might have been feeling as they make their way to the tomb, as evidenced in our scripture reading. If you look at John's face, you can see some, con con some concerned devotion on his face. He's looking with devotion and some concern. And if you look at Peter's face, you see some awe and amazement. They're making their way to the tomb. In either case, they are running and they're trying to make sense of what has happened. They knew that Jesus was placed in the tomb and that act shattered their preconceived ideas and notions because they did not think that Jesus would be taken from them. And so they're trying to get their minds around all that Jesus taught and enacted before them. They're afraid, they're concerned. Jesus was placed in a tomb. This seemed to slam the door shut on their expectations and their hope. I'm talking tonight about wrestling for hope. This is something that approached them in negativity. This had a spirit of finality on it. Jesus steps into the power of the grave and the tomb and death. And to them, this cannot be good. Who wrestles with death and wins? Who confronts the grave? and wins that battle? Who escapes the foul breath of death and decay? You don't walk away untainted by that experience. There is a rotten stench that is associated with that, and this was outside of the realm of possibility in their minds. But ladies and gentlemen, by way of introduction, I just want to say to you this. When it comes to humanity, humanity works in the the, imposs the possibilities where God works in the impossibilities. If you come to the house of God here tonight, we can only do things that are possible in our minds, but we know a God that is able to do what is impossible. That's why we come to him in faith and believe that he is able to do above and beyond what we could even think or ask. What kind of God do you serve here in the house of God tonight? A God that is limited or a God that is unlimited? 
David. Do you serve a finite God or do you serve an infinite God that is able to take all power in his hands and do a work that can only be attributed to a sovereign God? Has God ever done the miraculous in your life? If he has, why don't you give him praise? When others said, there's no way, God said, there is a way. When others said, you're not going to make it, God said, yes, you can make it. And you're in the house of God tonight. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord again together. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me ask those questions again. Who wrestles with death and wins? Who confronts the grave and wins that battle? Who escapes the foul breath of death and decay? You don't walk away from that kind of struggle and battle and not be untainted because there is a rotten stench that is connected to death and the grave, and in this case, the tomb. Not only in a physical sense, but the head usher of decay is sin, and sin brings forth death. This is what James chapter number 1 and verse number 15 tells us. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who can step into this kind of arena and walk out untainted? Who can do it? Who can wrestle for hope? A flippant young person one time asked a preacher, said, hey, preacher, you say that unsaved people carry a weight of sin. I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? The preacher replied by asking the young person, if you had a 400-pound weight on a corpse, would it feel the load? The young person replied, it would feel nothing because it is dead. The preacher concluded, that spirit too is indeed dead, which feels no load of sin or is indifferent to its burden and flippant about its presence. There is a load that people carry called sin. And if you're flippant about its, its ability and its strength, it may not mean much to you, but if you were tainted by it like some of us were, living in dysfunction and decay and all kinds of difficulty. Thank God God lifted the burden that we were walking around with and he gave to us liberty and freedom. This is why we lift our hands. This is why we worship the way that we worship because we recognize Jesus has taken the weight and the burden of sin off of us. Depends on how you look at it. Depends on how you look at it. There are different ways of looking at it. Man calls it an accident, but God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder, but God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it a chance. God calls it a choice. Humanity calls it an error. God calls it enmity. Humanity calls it a fascination. God calls it a fatality. Humanity says it's an infirmity, and God says it's an iniquity. 
Humanity says it's a luxury. God calls it leprosy. Humanity says it's liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Humanity says it's a trifle thing. God calls it a tragedy. Humanity says it's a mistake. God calls it madness. Humanity says it's a weakness. God calls it willfulness. It depends on how you are looking at it. Who, who is able to look on the faces of death and the grave and wrestle the grave and hope for a positive outcome? You know the tomb represents some things, right? It represents and conjures up all kinds of images. Number one, it is the lowest place imaginable. For Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 11 says, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God as it either in the depth or in the height above. It's the lowest place imaginable in contrast to the highest heavens. And so there is a contrast. It is in the depths. The grave in the tomb is the epitome of darkness. Job chapter 17 verse 13 said, If I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in the darkness. It's the farthest recess from light. It is a prison detaining one from life and activity in the upper world. It is described as the pit and its entrance as going down into the dust. Job said in chapter 17, verse 14, I've said to corruption, thou art my father, and to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. This place called the grave is a place of darkness. It is a place of loneliness. It is the antithesis of the enjoyment of life. It is the absence of companionship, the love between a man and a woman, the sounds of joy and laughter, sampling the fruits of one's labor or participation in worship in the grave. It is a lonely place. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 88 says, Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? Shall thy wonders be made known in the dark and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The grave is a place of loneliness. Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 18 said, The grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Talking about wrestling for hope. Who can step into that arena and wrestle for hope? Not only is it a place of power and silence and darkness, but death itself is personified as a tyrannical king over the kingdom of the dead. Hosea in chapter 13 and verse 14 said, I will ransom them. From the power of the grave, I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. The grave is personified as a powerful trap with cords that entangle its victim. Who, I ask the question again, can step in and wrestle for hope against death and the grave? The grave and death has an insatiable appetite. They are personified as having appetites. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 14 said, Hell hath enlarged herself, opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitudes and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. So here the grave as Sheol is associated with swallowing people up because it has an appetite. 
The wise man in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 12 said, Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. My point in reading all of those verses and describing death is that there is no greater foe than the grave. This is a giant that you do not want to mess with. And yet, and yet Jesus in the Gospel of John recorded a very great promise. John chapter 2 and verse number 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? They were thinking it had to do with a physical building. It took 46 years to build the temple. Who are you to think that you can raise it up in three days? Jesus wasn't talking about the physical building of the temple. He was talking about the physical body that he was going to resurrect in three days. Jesus, in this passage of scripture, puts death, hell, and the grave on notice that I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to wrestle for hope. You've had power and ability too long, but I I'm stepping in, and there is going to be a confrontation, and I'm going to walk out of a grave and give everybody else the opportunity to know that death can't hold you, the grave can't hold you, because I'm the first fruits of, of resurrection and life. Praise God, who can wrestle for hope? Jesus can wrestle for hope. You may feel like you're in a tomb. You may feel like death and decay, but Jesus is stepping into the arena and he's wrestling for hope. Praise God. The scripture tells us in John, John gives us some editorial comments. In verse 21, he says, but he spake of the temple of his body. Yeah, John that was running with consternation and awe on his face when he writes his gospel, later he recognizes and understands Jesus cannot be contained by Joseph of Arimathea's gift of a tomb, but he comes out of the tomb. There, there's this expectation in the scripture. Now, there, this is fascinating because in the Old Testament, you may not know this, or you may know this, depending on your study. In the Old Testament, there is not an understanding, a, a fleshing out of any kind of heaven. Because the Hebrews didn't believe in, in an afterlife. They believed that you lived according to the law, and you did your duty and diligence to it, and your commitments to it. And, and that is what meant living the good life of godliness. We didn't get an understanding of an afterlife until you cross over 400 years into the New Testament. And then there's this discussion, and Jesus comes on the scene. However, however, so, so let, me, let me just also say this. So their understanding of Sheol or the grave, and in some places the King James Version calls it hell, but it's not the same hell that's referred to in the New Testament. It's, it's something that it's, hell enlarges itself as Sheol. That's, that's the Hebrew word. And so in their mind, 
It, the, grave, the grave is something that silences you, stops you from worship. You go down into the pit. It's not a good thing. And so there's this apprehension and this, there's this fear that we don't see uh, being assuaged until Jesus comes on the scene. However, however, there were some expectations that crop out even from the very, very beginning <clears throat> because you have individuals like Job in chapter 19, verse 25. Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So even Job, even though he didn't have a complete understanding, there was something, there was an expectation in his spirit that said the grave can't be final. The finality of silence and darkness cannot be. And so there was this expectation that went way down into the future that he hoped for. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse number 8, he will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. So there, there's this expectation that, that we know this is not what the reality seems to be like. But our expectation is there is, there is one <laughs> that has the ability to wrestle for hope even when we're not seeing it. Something is happening. Something is coming. Man, I feel like preaching here right now and tell, telling you, keep, keep believing, keep stretching and saying, you know what? I don't see it. It's not based on my emotions, and so I don't feel it, and I don't see it, but I'm going to continue to extend my faith and, and defy all odds and believe that God is at work and God's doing great things, and something is going to happen in this moment that I'm praying for and seeking God for. I know it feels like death and decay in a grave, but I know God is greater. And so no matter what comes my way and what people will try to tell me and say to me, I'm not giving up. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to stretch my faith forward. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fight because it's worth fighting for. I'm wrestling for hope. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord. Praise God. I'm wrestling for hope. Jesus, in his ministry, gave us that word against the grave when he was talking about the temple. And then he also gave to us the experience of Lazarus. Just in case you don't think I have the power or the ability, Jesus seemed to say, they said our friend Lazarus, is dead, and Jesus said, no, he's sleeping. But I'll go wake him out of sleep. They said, well, if he's sleeping, then let him sleep. <laughs> they didn't realize Jesus was talking about he was dead, but, but he views death as he's sleeping. And so when they realized, wait a minute, he's not talking about taking a nap, he's talking about death, Jesus plainly stated to them and said, Lazarus is dead. But when he arrived on the scene, he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die 
do you believe this? They said to him, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Jesus was giving a preview of what was going to come. I'm going to take on the most fearful opponent, and I'm going to wrestle for hope. Thank God that he did. I'm standing here today because he wrestled for hope. And he said, there is an opportunity. There is a way where there seems to be no way. Death said, it's over. Death has finality. Death said, you shouldn't even be here, David Bejarano. But thank God, he wrestled for hope. And you're standing in the house of God because of his goodness. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 2 and verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Nobody can resist death. Nothing can resist the grave. But Jesus said, I'm going to conquer that power, and I'm going to resurrect what is there. It's going to be an empty tomb. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody thankful for victory in the house of God tonight? He brings victory. Hallelujah. There are many, many places that you can run. But where can you go to resurrect dead things, dead dreams, dead hopes, dead goals, dead joy, dead peace, dead belief, dead faith, dead righteousness, dead morality, dead soberness. I'll tell you where I'm running. I'm running to Jesus because I know that he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. Praise God. There is life and life more abundantly in him. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I was in a tomb. I was in a, in a grave somewhere. There was decay on my life, but Jesus brought me out of where I was and he gave to me an opportunity to take the grave clothes off of me and lift my hands and worship him. What's our response to the tomb? Our natural response is to flee it for all the reasons that we've stated. We don't want to wrestle death but wait, you're not wrestling death. You're wrestling for hope. Scripture tells us that when Peter and John are running to the tomb, there's two disciples on the way to Emmaus that are walking away from Jerusalem. They were running away. This is our, this is our typical response 
when we run into something that is this powerful. Two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. They were going in the opposite direction as musicians come here tonight. They were going in the opposite direction. They were sad. Their hopes were dashed because the body was in the tomb. But what they didn't know is that the body was not in the tomb because God is not the God of the dead. He is a God of the living. Why would you, why would you run to, oh man, this is, this is, this controversial preaching right now. It's going to be very, very controversial. Why would you run to a place of decay? Because you know there's power in the one that is there. Praise God. You don't, you don't need to be afraid of difficult situations and people in their situations where there is a stench of decay and death. You need to run to the tomb and say, you know what? I serve a God of the living and he can resurrect whatever is there, whatever is decomposed, wherever it looks like it's completely over. Jesus is able to turn it completely around through his resurrection. Pow! God, you know what? We need to be a church that's not afraid of the grave and death and hell. Hallelujah. We don't need to run the opposite way. We need to recognize there is Jesus with all power in his hands. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. The people that feel entombed by sin and degradation and dysfunction, there is resurrection power that is coming. Praise God. Praise God. As a matter of fact, they went out this week. Who went out this week? Who was the team captain? Praise God. Raise up your hand. If you're standing, raise your hand. If you're not standing, stand and raise your hand. Brother Nate's team, team who's a co-captain? Brother Joel Reyes. Praise God, Brother Joel Reyes. Um, how many doors did you knock on this week? About 200 doors. My understanding is you slowed down a little bit and you're actually knocking on the doors. 200 doors. We need to thank God for 200 doors in this community. Praise God. That's fantastic. Amen. I don't see Sumo here. Sumo was telling me across the way that he grabbed a bunch of door hangers. Somebody needs to talk to him. He's a lone ranger. He's out there doing his own thing. He said he was up in the uh, Bakersfield Country Club area knocking on doors today. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Are you in charge of that? You need to talk to Brother Sumo and ask him, what in the world are you doing? That's okay. That's okay. He went up there near the country club. He said, I decided, uh, you know, Sumo's interesting. <laughs> I mean, he said, I decided to go up there among the nice houses and see what the response would be. And you know what people were telling him when he was knocking on doors? They were saying, nobody comes up here and does outreach of any kind. They don't come up here. What are you doing up here? And Sumo, he said, rich people need Jesus. Wealthy people need Jesus. People in nice homes need Jesus. People driving nice cars need Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. You don't, need to, you don't need to run away from things. You need to run to things and say, Jesus is with me. And there is nothing that is impossible. God can do it. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So there was, that team went out and there was a prayer team. Who was the prayer team? If you were on the prayer team, raise your hand and want to see who you are. 
Amen. I, all right. Praise God. That's exciting. That is awesome. I talked to somebody at Meet and Greet tonight, and they said, we want to be on the prayer team. You need to see Brother Jordan Johnson. He will plug you in. Praise God. More people are recognizing. Man, this is awesome. This is exciting. You know why? Because we serve a living God. Listen, I'm not coming to church. I'm not coming to church if it's going to be a dead, boring, dull kind of thing where there's no movement, there's no life, and there's no flow of the Holy Ghost. I want to be in a red-hot service. I want the anointing of God to flow. I want people to be delivered. I want people to be healed. I want God to continue to do signs, miracles, and wonders. something that is dead or dying wrestle for hope because resurrection is there you say well yeah well you just don't understand pastor there's decay there's a stench of sin dashed dreams hopelessness and failure the good news is he's alive and his power if death cannot contain him neither can your problem contain him I said, if the grave can't hold him, your problem can't hold him either. There's a God that has all power in his hand. He can deal with your problem. Hallelujah. I said, he can deal with your problem. Can these bones live? Can this mess be revived? Can this life be saved? Can this depression be vanquished? You just need to run to the place in the source of where that is. And when you get there, you're going to find out that there is resurrection power. You need to wrestle for hope. Church, we need to wrestle for hope. There is hope that maketh not a shame. Don't give up with the world and everything else that is around you. Hallelujah. But reach out in faith and say, there is something that is greater that I can attach my life to. We stand together prepare to sing a song here tonight let's pray together and let's wrestle for hope in the house of god tonight god lead us direct us amen help us to, to take spiritual dominion over difficulties and strongholds hallelujah i thank you and praise you and worship you we're praying that you break out and do a move and that you do great things and your authority and your sovereignty is felt hallelujah use me God, use me, Lord, use me. Hallelujah. You have won it all. You have won the victory. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Praise God. I feel, I feel the anointing of God right there. If you feel like your situation is less than a victory, you need to walk to this front, lift your hands and say, I know there is hope and I know there's a God wrestling for hope. And so I'm bringing all of those things to you, Lord, and I ask God for authority and strength. Praise God. As they sing this again with intensity and passion and power, there is a God. There is a God. You have won the victory. Hallelujah. There is no addiction. You have won it all for There is no depression and anxiety and stress. That could not hold you that contains down. You that God can make a way out. You are the reason. 
Wow.